Seneca, why do you think we have a winner? What do you mean? I mean, why do we have a winner? Hope. Hope? Hope. It is the only thing stronger than fear. A little hope is effective. A lot of hope is dangerous. A spark is fine, as long as it's contained. So... So... Contain it. Let's go ahead and get started with a word of prayer, and we'll get right into things. Jesus, I thank you again for this manifesto that you communicate to us. And I pray today that we will uh, find encouragement. We will find true hope as we look at what your words are to us. And as we embrace your words, man, we will find freedom. We will find liberty in you. So I pray you will work that in us. I pray you will teach that to us. And I pray that we will long for you. We love you, praise you, and thank you, Jesus, in your good and awesome name. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, I want you to open up to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. And we're going to be starting uh, verse 25, I think, is roughly the neighborhood. Now, uh, as you're on your way there, I I want to tap into the theme of that clip. Because I really do think it's one of the most brilliant lines in the movie. Because if there's anything that is true to the human condition, is that we desire hope. We have this craving to hope in something. To have our hope placed somewhere. I mean, it's just a given. And you look around at all the places where we begin to chase because those places say, here's where you can actually place your hope. I mean, I'm I'm kind of casually watching right now the whole political process unfold. And it is a debate about hope, really. You have the current president who ran on hope and still says, hey, there's hope for the future. And then you have the person running against him saying, no, 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 you don't want to put your hope there. You want to put your hope there. You want to put your hope in me, not in him. And it's going to go back and forth. And as Americans, we get caught in this place like, well, where do I put my hope? In which person do I place my hope and my trust and my belief that the future will be brighter if that person is in charge? We look for places to leverage our hope. I think about the summer movies. And a lot of them are about hope again. Who's the underdog that we can have hope in? Who's the hero that is so selfless that we can hope in them? Right? What's the hope of one's future? Right? All of that is a theme in the human condition. But the problem so often is we keep chasing a new place for hope because every place we seem to put our hope becomes hopeless. The people, the things, the concepts that we trust so often, they fail us. They discourage us. And and what I think that ultimately accomplishes is a diluted view of what hope is all about. We start to become a little bit cynical about hope. In fact, if anything, hope becomes lowercase question mark. In other words, a lot of times when we say, I hope, what we mean is, I wish. It's not about confidence. 
If anything, it can even be a little bit skeptical because we try to guard ourselves because we know, well, if I hope in that, it's probably just going to let me down because there's so many things in life I have hoped in that have let me down. And so we start to see the word hope in a cynical way. Where it's like, maybe, possibly, hopefully, I wish, but I don't know. And yet when the Bible speaks of hope, especially when you get to the New Testament, man, that kind of hope is all caps, exclamation point. It is conviction. It is certainty. It is positive. It is truly hope filled. You know it's going to pay off. See, that's biblical hope, but that is very foreign to us because, again, we choose little hopes over true hope. See, if we really bought into that which is true hope, we would be fearless in this world. Literally fearless. That's what I love about the clip. The only thing stronger than fear is hope. But it's strange how often I find in my own life, and I'm sure this is true with all of you, it's amazing how much we actually fear. How much we actually worry. How much we actually have anxiety. And yet we talk about our hope being in Christ. And I think the problem is fundamentally, while we say our hope is in Christ, we continue to look to the things of this world to place our hope in And they keep letting us down. So Jesus in this manifesto is trying to square us up. He's not trying to be mean or cruel or cause us to be discouraged in ourselves and go, man, I just can't do this. No, he's trying to say, I'm trying to untether you from this world that disappoints and I'm trying to connect you to an eternity that will will always bring hope. But boy, that pulling away from the world and attaching us to his kingdom. That's a painful process. It is. It's hard for us to let go. It's hard for us to uncouple and detach from the stuff here for the stuff there. And so we suffer discouragement, anxiety, worry, depression. The list goes on and on and on. In fact, if anything, what Jesus is doing in the manifesto, after having said, man, don't follow the God of mammon, but follow the one true God, He says, you want to do that, you want to realize that, you want to pursue the right things with the right hope, because that will be the difference according, or the difference of the type of stress that you experience. So just as there's one of two hearts, and one of two treasures, and one of two things that you can have as a master, here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says there's also one of two stresses that we have to wrestle with. Just one of two. And you're going to experience one or the other. One is very hard to see achieved. It's the one that Jesus is going to paint the picture of. And it's hard to get into that place of the stress that he speaks of. Because the other stress is so ever-present. In fact, if anything, the two stresses come down to basically stress. And then there's another word that follows it. An F word, a four-letter F word. And trust me, it's not that one. It's not that one. It is the difference between stress full or stress free. That's all Jesus is really getting at at this point. He's saying, I want to help you out. I don't want you to be stress full. I want you to be stress free. 
But to do that, we must make some decisions. Hard decisions. Because again, we have this affinity, this attraction, this connection to this world so much, and placing our hopes in it, it begins to drive our affections and drive our perspective. And from that, we start to adopt lesser things, again, for our hope. And then, when it doesn't pay off, we go through all of these different emotions. I mean, think about the things we go through when our hopes don't pay off. We go through anxiety. We might have high blood pressure. We might have an ulcer. Our stomach is always sick. We feel knots in our back. Our chest feels like somebody is sitting on it. Maybe we'll just sit in front of the TV for hours or in front of the computer for hours or on our phone for hours because we're just trying to escape. We get deeply discouraged. We begin to look back at our past and we question, well, why did I do this and why did I do that? And if this would have happened different, then I wouldn't be in this circumstance. And we get lost in that. We just stare out the window for hours. We just daydream in quiet fatigue and discouragement. We look at our future and go, oh, there's no hope. We look at the future and go, it's scary. I mean, these are all things that happen when anxiety takes over, when we don't have proper hope. We start to self-medicate, and that happens in all sorts of ways. We self-medicate by eating to make us feel better. Comfort food. Or we medicate by shopping. Or we medicate by alcohol. Or we medicate by drugs. We medicate by all sorts of things. Trying to recapture, reclaim, regain some sense of direction. All of those things just come from worry because we have misplaced hopes. We've gone for little hope that still generates fear. As opposed to big hope that generates faith. In fact, Dr. Charles Mayo of the Mayo Clinic said this, men don't die of overworking, but they do of overworry. And it's true. I mean, we take the miles off just worrying about stuff. We choose stressful. And yet Jesus says, I want you to be stress-free. And what he's going to say to us in this section today is ultimately this, what we stress, what we stress, faith or finances, What we stress, faith or finances, will drive then how we stress. It's really that simple. What we stress, faith or finances, will drive how we stress. Stressful, stress-free. And like I said, this is a tearing away because we're used to trusting the God of this world for our security, for our safety, for our contentment. And Jesus says, it's never going to pay off. It's a little hope. It's enough hope to keep you enslaved. Because you're always hoping for the next thing. He says, but if you stress things differently, you will be stress-free. And so as Jesus gets into the actual body of his message, he starts with the idea of basically, live basic. Just live basic. And here's what I don't mean by live basic. I'm not saying you can't have nice things. I'm not saying you can't possess uh, items or whatever. But what I'm saying is the perspective we have is to be basic. Is to think basic. Is to live simply in our mindset. The way we see the world around us. In fact, Jesus starts it off this way. He says in verse 25, That is why I tell you, 
to not be anxious about everyday life, whether you will have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. That sounds like a single guy that didn't own a home, actually. You know, like, hey, man, don't be anxious. Like, easy for you. You're single. You live with Peter's mom. I mean, you know, like, right? I mean, you could get cynical like that. Or you could look and go, man, there's real brilliance at work here. Because he says a couple of things I think are interesting, right? I mean, the first is he tells us something that's actually a command. Don't be anxious. Just don't be anxious. Don't go down that road. Don't let yourself fall into that trap. It's almost like saying, man, you've got the option here. And I think sometimes I look at that and I go, man, I don't know how that's an option. But then I start to think about my life and I go, oh, no, no, I see what it is. It's again where I place my hope. Far too often I place my hope in people, in institutions, in finances, in my country, and then I am perpetually discouraged. So then I worry. And Jesus says, that's the problem. You're anxious and you're worrying because you keep looking at things that are not in charge. Certainly not of the overall universe. He says, I'm in charge. You put your hope in me, it's good. You put your hope in stuff, it's bad. But he also says this is an encouragement. It's like he's saying, man, let me do you a favor. Let me give you some freedom. By reminding you that you can live in a way that this does not cripple you. I love that. Now, again, I think a lot of the message in this is making decisions as we move forward in life that do not invite added anxiety. Because if there's anything that's true about anxiety is it's taught or it's easy to flip on and very difficult to turn off once it's on. Right. I mean, it takes nothing to turn it on. Oh, your 401 is a 104K now. (laughs) You know, on. You just lost your job on. Your kids are getting bad grades in school. On. You had a fight with your spouse. On. I mean, again, it takes nothing to turn anxiety on. takes a lot to turn it off. But part of the problem of flipping anxiety on is rooted in our expectations, our desires, and our wants. In other words, we go, well, my expectation is when I retire, I'll have X. And then when suddenly you see it start to evaporate, boom, it flips on. Because why? That's your expectation. If anything, it might even be like, wait, wait, I earned that. I deserve that. I'm being cheated because I didn't get that. On. But it's an expectation. The expectation is what drives the emotion, drives the anxiety. And what that is ultimately fundamentally about is instead of me saying, all right, something just melted down, something's bad, something's broke. Instead of me saying, so God, I'm looking at you. I want you to be my strength. I want you to be my hope. I want you to be my guide. I know you are sovereign. What we do is we start looking at us. It's not even so much looking at the problem anymore. We start to look at us. Woe is me, poor is me, hurt is me, cheated is me, wronged is me, disappointed is me, expectations are not met for me, me. And we go in on ourselves, right? And we just, just, just ball up and we just get so, whatever the emotion is, angry, irritated, frustrated, sad, depressed, discouraged, given up, whatever it is. But again, that is proportionate to where we're looking and where we put our hope. 
faith, our trust, our security. That will bury us every time. I have, I have, I've done that even over the last uh, couple of years. I have spent so many hours not sleeping. So many hours worried and concerned and planning and plotting and probing and questioning. And ultimately what that was was me looking at me and me looking at circumstance and back at me and not at him. Just not at him. And so it's just maddening. And Jesus loves us enough to say, man, don't fall into that. Man, live basic. Just live basic. Have the right perspective. Don't start getting all into what I don't have, what I did lose, what might happen tomorrow that will be negative. He says, man, you you don't want to do that. That'll rob you of everything. Even if you have everything, it'll rob you of everything. It's just stress. In fact, he goes into verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. He says, they don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? See, I love this, man. I've been watching the birds in my yard all spring. You know what I don't see? I don't see a bird stopping going, (sighs) you know what I mean? Like, no stress. I mean, he's not like, take my blood pressure, bro. You know, I mean, there's none of that. Birds are just happy and they flop along and they eat a worm and they go along and they're just happy. You know, I'm like, I wish I was like a bird. That'd be awesome. The only stressed out birds are pets. But the live out in the... Those ones get freaked out in a cage too long. But the ones that are just in the wild, they're just taken care of. No stress. And Jesus says, and doesn't your father care about you more? Doesn't he want to invest more? Isn't he going to take care of you more? But again, what's our problem? Well, I, I, I believe that, but I really put my hope here. Right? Yes, I know he's going to provide, but, 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 look at how things are going. Yes, I know God is good, but did you see the stock market? I know God is good, but did you see my problem? Yes, I know God is in charge, but, but, but here's the stuff. And, and, and we just keep looking there and looking here and looking there and looking here and looking there and looking here instead of looking there. It's just the way we struggle sometimes. And yet Jesus says, no, man, if you if, if start looking at the world differently and you start looking to God more, you'll realize he really is taking care of you. Maybe even despite your, your own biases. He says, you need to live basic. He goes into verse 28. He says, why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither work nor make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautiful is they are. And if God cares so wonderfully and so much for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. See, I love this passage because in their day, um, you pretty much just had like one tunic. You had like one outfit. That's it. So when he says, hey, don't worry about what you're going to wear for these people, man, it would be understandable if somebody sued you and took your tunic. Jesus deals with this in the Sermon on the Mount, right? That's a big loss. You don't have a jacket anymore and the weather is not always happy. So they would have a real concern. 
I look at our culture, and what do we do? We go into the closet, all these clothes, and we go, I got nothing to wear. I mean, literally, how dumb are we? I have nothing to wear. And that's where it's all backwards again, because we don't live basic. Instead, we chase and we want and we need this other thing. And part of this is tethered to how our culture even sees things like dress, right? Uh, For them, dress was just necessity, right? You you needed a jacket to survive. In our culture, dress uh, is connected to uh, our worth, if we have money or don't have money, uh, how we're perceived. We always tell our kids, don't judge a book by its cover, but you know what nice, nice clothing is? It's just the dust jacket. That's what it is. We judge each other by our dress. We advance based on dress. We, we trust even in dress a lot for the betterment of our lives. And Jesus says, man, why are you doing that? Why are you worrying about that? Again, it's just going to create anxiety. In fact, he goes on, he says in verses 31 to 32, he says, so don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? He says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all you need. See, I I love this word dominate. By the way, I'm going Pentecostal today, apparently, so I got to pat down. All right, so... Yeah, glory, glory, Jesus. All right, so it's a little warm up here today. I don't know why. So, um, but, but I love this because in a little while, we're going to see where he says, seek first the kingdom. Well, that word seek is the same word that's used here, but there's another little word on the front of that word seek in the original language when it comes to the unbelieving world. And what, what it means here, because that little add-on, is that the world seeks like this. This is where I can put my help. No, no, wait, wait, no, it's not that. It's not that. It's, oh, no, it's that. It's that. That's going to do it. No, wait, no, that failed me. That's going to do it. No, that's no, not that. It's going to be over here. It's going to be over here. See, that's what an unbelieving person does. The, the economy is going to be my help. No, that's not it. A relationship is going to be my help. No, that's not it. Uh, uh, man, it, it's going to be having a child. That's going to be my help. No, that's, that's not it. Trust me, that's not it. It's going to be the death of you. It's what it's going to be, you know? So, that's what the unbelieving world does. But again, I look at this and I go, man, but that's also what I do. That's what I do. I go, okay, if I can just get through this, you know what? Once, once this is over, it's, it, everything's going to be smooth sailing. That's really cute thinking on my part. Like, if I just get past this problem, there'll be no more problems. If I can just get this thing, it's all fixed. No, it's, it's not going to do it. It's not going to pay off. It's not going to help. Because again, I can't put my hope or security or contentment or purpose in anything on this planet. And it pay off. It just won't do it. It just won't help. It's just not going to happen. I mean, it's amazing even. Some of the things we do that we um, invest into or whatever to create stress-free living that create tremendous stress. I mean, it's really weird, right? I mean, you even think about things like retirement or savings. We go, I'm going to save up this money so that one day I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be retired. I won't be having the stress of work anymore. And then that evaporates. And it's the most stressful thing in your life. I get it. But that's why, because again, Jesus said, this planet, there's moths, there's rust, 
there's thieves. There's just things that are going to take things away from us. So he says, man, just don't get sucked in. Don't worry about what we'll eat, what we'll drink, what we'll wear. It's just going to entrap you. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't plan? I mean, some people could look at this and go, oh, okay, so I, I should just have no, no plans whatsoever. No. It's wise to plan. It's good to plan. It's healthy to plan. It's biblical to plan. This doesn't mean don't plan. But I, I want to say this with the, that, that idea. When you plan, here's what you need to do as you make your plans, as you make your investment, as you do what you do. You need to make sure you don't depend on, trust in, assume regarding, pine over, fret about, or lose sleep because of your plans. Plan. It's great. But don't go, and my life will be bad if the plan doesn't happen. And then... If the plan blows up, don't regret it, don't second guess it, don't lash out after it. Make plans, but don't place your hope in plans. Right? That's the big idea. Jesus would say, man, God knows what you need. You're more precious than you know. He's promised to take care of you. And so he says in verse 34, so don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Now, does that mean tomorrow will be better? No. Tomorrow might suck. I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes we'll look at that. Oh, it's going to get better tomorrow. Maybe. Maybe not. It could really fall apart tomorrow. But don't worry about that. Equally, like I was saying, don't bank on tomorrow getting better. Or once I get past this, it's going to be fine. Or just once things rebound, it will be good. I don't know. It takes very little to disrupt the world, really. But the key, again, is don't get sucked into worrying about it. Just focus on today. If there's anything I have learned in my own Christian life, um, it's that... God really does give me what I need for today to get through today. I mean, to get through the stress and the worry and the anxiety or whatever. And if I focus on him more, the more those things subside. And so I have enough for today. But my problem is I go, well, I want uh, to, to pull tomorrow in also. And next week and next year, I want to pull in 65, you know, when I cross over into real living, you know, um, I, I want to think about all of that. And, and it's a little bit like, here's what God does. I believe with the strength for today. It's like man, manna in the Old Testament. Right? God says, I'm going to give you this manna for just today. Just today. And what do the Israelites want to do? Well, let's keep some for a couple of days. He says, no, no, no. I give you what you need for today. You don't start trying to stockpile because we don't do it that way. Don't start trying to pull stuff in for tomorrow into today. It doesn't work that way. And I think that's a very valuable thing for us to go, I'm just going to focus on today. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what the bank's going to do tomorrow. I don't know what the president's going to do tomorrow. I don't know what the terrorists are going to do tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. I don't have to worry about it, though. Because he's given me what I need for today to simply trust him. 
to not assume or not presume, but to stand with a certain level of, of assuredness and security that today I'm taken care of. I guess the question is, how do we, how do we get to that point? How do, we, how do we live like that? Well, I think what Jesus is going to tell us is to live big. Live big. He said live basic, right? Which is perspective. It's not how much stuff you have, it's how much your stuff has you, right? That's live basic. Not how much stuff you have, but how much your stuff has you. To live big is to have a certain level of perspective that is looking toward God. And the first thing is this, Jesus is going to say. He's going to say, realize that life is bigger than what your, your wants are or even your needs are. Realize that life is bigger than wants or needs. Verse 25, he says, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Your answer should be yes. Mine should be yes. I mean, it's hard because we go, whoa, whoa, wait, wait. But food and clothing are bare essentials. Absolute necessity. You're going to die without these. And Jesus says, yeah, I know. But life is still bigger than those raw, simple things. And we need to start getting there. We go, yeah, you're right. Life is so much bigger than that. And if we start fixing our mind on that, where we start going, ah, yes, I'm not going to become so attached to my wants I'm going to simply enjoy my needs and realize that even that isn't enough because life is bigger in God, in the gospel, in the kingdom. Man, there is freedom there. There is freedom. We have to start letting go of our complete passion of want and realize life, man, there's so much depth, so much richness to life when we let that go. And it's amazing when we let that go if we can manage to let go of our wants. You know what's great? You can then have your wants. Right? If you can let go of wants fulfilling, if you can let go of the fact that because you don't have your wants, you're discouraged, if you can let that all go, then you can actually have, quote, wants, but you can have them with freedom. And the way you can have them with freedom is, if they all disappeared tomorrow, no big deal. No big deal. Because they don't possess you. They don't own you. They don't shape your contentment. They don't shape your peace or your happiness. They're just things that God sovereignly gives. He sovereignly takes away. And you say, praise God, whichever I have. Because they're not things I want and need in my soul. They're just things that God gives me and I get to use and have fun. And it's an enjoyment. And that's really liberating. That's the difference between want that owns me or a want that is provided to me, but I don't mind if it goes away. I think the other thing we have to think about when it comes to want and need and how life is bigger than those things is even to understand what we mean by need. Because it is the most overused word. I need a new car, need a new house, need a new phone. We need new shoes. We need new shirts. We need a vacation. We don't need the things that we think we need. We want. And then we get discouraged that we don't have. And Jesus says, no, put it all back into perspective. Realize that life is bigger than want or need. So, he says, and the Bible says, replace anxiety with perspective. Replace your anxiety with perspective because life is bigger. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul is writing about this. 
He says, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. He says, I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. He says, not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty one, with plenty or with little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Paul was in a prison with people that hated him, with outsiders claiming Christ that wanted to add greater affliction to his imprisonment. And you know what he says? I'm good. I'm good, man. I'm, I'm, I am content. He had so transcended the notion that says this life should drive my happiness. He was escaped completely from the idea that says, only when I'm out of prison will I be good. Only when I'm full will I be content. He says, no, no, I'm, I'm beyond all of that. Which tells me it is possible. Because it's amazing, in the previous chapter, chapter 3 of Philippians, you know what he says? I haven't arrived. I'm not complete. I'm not perfect. In fact, if anything, he says, man, I, I, I am undone. I am not uh, necessarily a righteous man or a good man. I used to be a religious man, and that caused a lot of trouble. And then I realized I was bankrupt and nothing, but all I want is Christ. I just want Christ. And because he just wanted Christ, he didn't want anything else. In the sense of going, oh, it's going to fulfill me. He says, no, I, I, don't, I, I don't need that. If it comes, great, and if it goes, great. Because I stand in Christ. I stand in Christ. And again, his life is harder than anything I've ever faced in my life. And so that gives me great hope. I realize it's perspective. And so he says, man, just replace anxiety with perspective. Another thing that Jesus says about living big. He says, realize that worry doesn't resolve. Verse 27 there of Matthew 6. He says, can all your worries add a single measurement to your life? Some of your versions may say a cubit to your stature or something of that nature. This idea of a cubit, or what, it's just a measurement, right? It's just a unit of measure. And, and it doesn't even matter how you use it. It can be all sorts of things. You could say, hey, does worrying lift you up to the heights? No. Does worrying advance you further down the road? No. Does worry grow you in your character? No. He says, worry won't do any of that. Period. And so we have to start owning that as well. Going, oh, okay, man, I worry about a lot of things. And man, all it is, though, is wasted energy. Doesn't grow us. Doesn't shape us in the positive. It certainly shapes us in the negative. But it doesn't shape us in the positive. And more than that, and this is a painful thing to own in my own life, but I know it's true. More than just wasted energy, it's practical atheism. It's just practical atheism. This problem is so big, God, you can't handle it. So I'm not going to consult you just yet. I'm going to worry about this for a while. Or we consult him, but we kind of consult him loaded. If you love me, you'll make this go away. And then when he doesn't make it go away, go, oh, okay, well, now I'm just going to be miserable and look at it. It's just practical atheism. Jesus says it's not going to build you at all. It's not. And so we need to resist anxiety with awareness 
with awareness. James chapter 2 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. You're like, you're kidding, right? So, when my finances go bad, consider it joy. When my uh, life goes sideways, consider it joy. When I lose my job, consider it joy. Yeah. Like, that's dumb, right? No, it's brilliant. Consider it joy. Why? Because it's this chance for your faith to be tested. And your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. From when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. See, the reality about any problem in life, anything that can create anxiety is that it is really uh, an opportunity where you can take one or two roads, like the rest of this whole section in the Sermon on the Mount. It can either build you or it can break you. Build or break, that's it. Everything is just kind of one road or the other. And if we take a hardship and we go, I'm going to look to God, I'm going to trust God, I can do all things through Christ, I'm going to ask Him to be my sufficiency, I'm going to ask Him to anchor me in this time, man, you know what? Let it grow. Let that good thing that's so painful, let your faith grow. But if we go, no, 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 I'm just angry and frustrated and it's not what I planned. That's going to grow too. It's going to embitter. It's going to frustrate. It's going to discourage. It's going to depress. It's going to do all of those things. But if we look and we go, man, this is an opportunity. It's going to build. That's a part of living big. Another thing in this that Jesus is going to say that I think is so important. He's going to say, realize faith can be reallocated. Realize that faith can be reallocated in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 30, that second part of that verse. He says, why do you have so little faith? Right? We start worrying about our own lives, what we'll have, what we'll eat, what we'll drink, where we'll live, what we'll do. And he says, why, why do you have so little faith? Here, here's what I, I, I was thinking about this this week, and it really confronted me. I thought, you know what? Uh, human beings, all of us have tremendous faith. We just put it in bad places. We really do put it in bad places. We're going to put it in people and in institutions and in ideologies and in whatever. Lots of faith. So much so that, again, we stress out over the places we've placed our faith. So I'm not sure that it's so much that we have little faith. I just think we have misguided faith. And I think we do that, frankly, because it's easy. It is easy. I don't know about you, but I know in my own life, to really live in faith and really trust God is work. It's work. Because it requires me to constantly say, I'm getting nervous again. Jesus, help me. It's getting sketchy. I need your help. Jesus, I don't know where this is going to go, but I'm looking to you to trust you. That is work. It's a whole lot easier to say, I'm just going to trust that politician. <laughs> right? I'm just going to trust this thought, this concept, this plan. It's easy. It doesn't pay off usually, but it's easy. But Jesus says, no, 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 put your faith in the right places. Put your faith in my Father. In fact, I go back to Philippians again with this, because I think Paul is so helpful there in chapter 4. And so we need to realize that faith can be reallocated. So first, relinquish faithlessness to thankfulness. You want to know how we do this instead of worrying about all of this? 
The first thing is right here, thankfulness. Faith is directly tethered to that particular idea. He says in Philippians 4, always be full of joy in the Lord. He says, I'll say it again, rejoice. He says, rejoice, let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Man, this is huge. I promise you, man, if you're having just a crap day, rejoice. Find a worship CD, throw it in your car, sing to the top of your lungs with that bad voice you have, and rejoice. And that will change your disposition. See, I find, again, in my life, when I get discouraged and I get down, the last thing I'm doing is choosing to rejoice. I don't go out of my way to do it. I go out of my way to sulk and to moan and to be a little curmudgeon and worry again. But I, I, I don't rejoice. And you know, we have tons to rejoice about. We do. The Lord is coming soon. Rejoice. He gave himself for you. Rejoice. He's taking care of you today. Rejoice. You've got family and friends. Rejoice. You have an eternity that's going to be stress-free. Rejoice. I guarantee when it's bad, if you stop to rejoice, the clouds are going to roll back. It's just we go, I don't want to rejoice. I'm in no mood to rejoice. Isn't that what we do? Well, I'm, I don't feel like rejoicing. Obviously, you know. I've been there. I know in some of my hardest times in the last few years, somebody would say, you know, God is sovereign. I'm like, yeah, yeah, go away. You know, like, I don't need to hear the truth. I'm busy sulking, you know. Rejoice. God is big. God is good. Be thankful. The second thing Paul is going to say is, man, faith can be reallocated, so relinquish faithlessness to prayerfulness. Verse 6. He says, don't worry about anything. That sounds like Jesus. How irritating is this? All right, don't worry about anything. Instead, he says, pray about everything. See, what I love here is that it isn't, hey, just don't worry. It's all in your court. They're always telling us what to go and do. Don't be anxious. Go and do this. Don't worry. Go and do this. If we're thankful and we're prayerful, then we're not looking in here at all of this. We're looking there. We're allocating our focus is really all this is about. And so we go, oh, I'm worried about my retirement. And you say, well, don't worry about it. Pray about it. I'm worried about our country. Well, don't worry about it. Pray about it. Worried about my family. Don't worry about it. Pray about it. Right? Don't worry about anything. Pray about it everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. And then you will experience God's peace. Only God can give true peace on this planet. Only God. This planet will not give us peace. We establish peace like this. That's what we do. That's what we do to create peace on this planet. That's the best we can do as human beings. But if we do this, there is a peace which exceeds anything that we can understand. And it says, His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You know how it does that? It guards us from depression. It guards us from this anxiety. It guards us from, again, getting so earthly-minded we become paralyzed. 
but it takes work. It's not like I'm, I'm just going to be idle and wait. No, we have to be thankful. We have to be prayerful. And then also Paul would say, relinquish your faithlessness to thoughtfulness. The thoughtfulness. What I mean by this is, uh, we'll say sometimes, um, uh, I'm consumed with my thoughts. The reality is our thoughts aren't consumed, they feed. Our thoughts feed us. We can have good thoughts and they feed us, or we can have bad thoughts and they feed us. And a lot of times we have anxiety, fear, discouragement, and worry because we feed ourselves bad thoughts. We take in media all the time that reminds us the world is coming apart. Right? Uh, We take in things of want and then we don't get them. And so again, we feed ourselves bad thoughts. But Paul is going to tell us now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. And what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all that you've learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw, you, you saw me doing. He says, man, do that. Then the peace of God will be with you. Notice it's do this, then this will happen. I keep driving it back to this. I know I'm like a broken record today, but I'm a broken record because, again, we must resist the very easy temptation to fix our minds on everything but this, to be more unthankful than thankful, to be more worrying than praying. And then we go, I I, I don't understand. I, I don't understand Paul. I don't understand Jesus. They've given us a great roadmap. It's really pretty simple. It just means living big. Right? What we feed ourselves, where we set our focus, where we put our hope, all of that's related to stressful or stress-free. The last thing that Jesus is going to tell us here is that realize abundance comes from eternal investment. Eternal investment. And that means we need to live bold. Live basic, Right? We love basic. We want to live big. We want to live bold. Verse 33. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. Right? So we went all over the map. We seek a lot of things in life. We put a hope, our hope in a lot of things that don't deliver. And Jesus says, man, I'll, I'll make it real simple. Just seek the kingdom above all else. Right? That word seek, again, like I told you earlier, it, it shares a, a word with the unbelieving world. But the unbelieving world, there was a little teeny word added on to that word seek. But for us, it means just do this. The word seek here is just single target. One thing. You know the bullseye. Right? So just seek first the kingdom. And so we go, well, how is that done? How is that accomplished? Well, Jesus has already told us how to do it. He's already told us how to do it. Go right back to Matthew chapter 5, start in verse 3. And then just work your way through. Right? Just work your way through. Oh, so poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hunger and thirsting for righteousness, pure in heart, peacemaking, persecuted, salt, light, greater righteousness. Oh, I should give this way. I should pray this way. I should fast this way. Oh, I should not have money be the thing I put my trust in, but God to be the one I put my trust in. All of that is how we do this. 
seeking the kingdom first. That's how we do it. Why we do it? Well, Jesus has already told us in verse 20. He says, store up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. You want to know how we invest into eternity? It's all of that stuff. Sometimes people go, well, when you, you give in this world of your money, then it stores up in heaven. Well, that's one thing of many things. As we trust God and as we do the Beatitudes and as we're salt and light and as we love our enemy and as we keep our word and as we keep our eyes and minds pure and when we're faithful in our marriages and all of those things store for eternity. So he says, man, that's why we do it. That's why we seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And then he says, and if we do it, our Father will give you everything you need. He will give you everything you need. Not everything we want. Not everything we think we need. But he will take care of us. And not only will he take care of us, but he will free us. Free us from the fears that everybody feels in this world. Free us from the anxiety about what's going to happen tomorrow. It doesn't matter what happens tomorrow. It just doesn't matter. What matters is what happens in eternity. Not tomorrow. And so Jesus, in his good grace and in his good love and his good providence, he says, man, you can live outside of the fray of this planet. Just seek first the kingdom, its righteousness, and God will take care of you. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for the promise that you can free us of worry and anxiety. And in one sense, that's very inspirational. In another sense, it can be very discouraging to hear that, Jesus. I think about it in my own world because I go, sometimes it's just really overwhelming. And is it me? Is it my problem? But I also look at how often I'm not looking to you. I'm busy looking at unmet expectations, unfulfilled desires, dreams that have turned to nightmares. I just get sidetracked and I'm like head down, look around, look at me. Instead of head up, thankful, prayerful, mindful of good things. Seeking you as the foremost agenda of my life. Jesus, I know you've given us the strength to accomplish these things, but we ask for a unique added reminder of your spirit when we start to spin out and go down and look around and become discouraged that you will just speak to our hearts and say, wait, 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 wait. Look up. Be encouraged. Be thankful. Be prayerful. Be mindful. Help us in that, Jesus, by your grace and for your faith. Amen.